32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is... United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. Very smart people we're bringing you today, let me tell you. (laughs) But before we get to that, we are an independent podcast. We need your support. If you like what you hear and can spare three euro a month, go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and pay for the joy of listening to this podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who's doing that already. Uh, We'd love more of you. So just three quid a month and you can get on board the train to our happiness. Because we never want to do ads. Well, I won't say never, but we don't want to do ads. So come on, give us your cash and then we don't have to. Yeah. And also, obviously, we hate having to sell this well, I mean, I shouldn't speak for you, Andrea. You know how much I hate having um I say things like, I actually don't care how many patrons you have. And you're like, that's not very helpful. <laughs> um, but we do care about the ones that we have currently. And we would love uh, to have more uh, to help us keep going. And it's so amazing. That what through all this. What you're trying to say, Una, is what? we're not driven by growth or by profit. Yeah. What we are driven by is creating something we're really proud of, that we enjoy doing, and that people enjoy listening to. And if they support us with their support on Patreon, that would be super. That's exactly what I meant. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> now, this week, um, look... Look, right, we know it is very frustrating. Uh, We know that people's heads are spinning and that they're kind of tearing the hair out and compartmentalizing what might be coming down the line, re-pandemic surge or dealing with it uh, in a very real way or just not able to deal with it anymore. But this... uh, this week's podcast, we're just going to talk a little bit about how the government has lost the room uh, as ineffective restrictions um, probably will not work um, and and what the broader kind of atmosphere um, swirling around that means um, and what's going to kind of happen next. So small topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got our, our gl- not globes, what are those fortune teller globes out? We're going to look into the future, but also figure out how to get there without losing your mind. Exactly. But first up, it's the State of the Nation. Now, in bits, I would say, is a good <laughs> summation of the State <laughs> of the Nation. Uh, it so many bits. It's a bento bits sushi box. We'll get to um, all of those bits that it's in, in our main bit. But uh, State of the Nation, I suppose um, the main thing that's very, very serious that's going on uh, was articulated by HSE Honcho Paul Reed in a letter to hospitals um, outlining kind of how they're going to shift to crisis footing effectively um, and go into an almost wartime situation with regard, I hate those war and military metaphors, let's not use them. Okay. Uh, but a re- really serious uh, situation with regards to capacity and functioning and the number of staff out and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can read the full letter. Jack Horgan Jones uh, from the Irish Times tweeted the full letter if you want to read it. Uh, if you want to have um, gained some insight into what the situation is going to be like in hospitals over the next 10 days, 
really good time to not have to go to hospital um, if you are not uh, being hospitalized with COVID. And also just really, really feel for people who've had surgery scheduled, scans scheduled, who need care uh, beyond um, suffering from COVID. Uh, it's it's an anxiety uh, riddled time um, for people in that situation, especially as the wa- waiting lists continue to pile up to astronomical levels that will be very hard to clear in a timely manner if we keep having to deal with these very blunt kind of uh, lockdown-esque um, ways, ways and waves and surges. So sending all the love to the um, frontline healthcare workers, basically. Um, At least someone is because the government aren't no, uh, and we'll we will discuss that. Uh, another um, very sad story in your neck of the woods, Andrea, uh, that I had in the Times is um, Coppinger Row is closing a very very uh, loved restaurant um, in the South William Street area in Dublin. Opened thirteen years ago there, and uh, due to just shenanigans basically with leases and development of the building by the landlord, which is Aviva, they are going to have to close on December 31st. And it's just a massive loss to the vibe of that area. Especially since they were responsible for creating the vibe in the area. Like before Coppinger, there was the South William, which was fundamental in in the vibe of the, of the street. And also Bia Bar, Mark and Connor were involved in Bia Bar around the corner, which was like um, intrinsic into the the area so it's very sad and very worrying because like as a resident of St William Street like I've seen the men in suits and they were all men um, with their clipboards just walking down the street in clusters and basically cutting up the street and what they were buying and so you know that it's literally being bought out by investors and they don't give a shit about what the people of the area want or need. It's literally like, how can we make the most money out of this? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when I was speaking to Mark Breen, who who owns the, the, the restaurant with his brother, Connor, you know, there's just the kind of thing that he was saying is like, you know, we're successful. You know, we when we open back up, we, we're like booked out and not being able to compete as a successful independent business is warped, you know, because there should be room for everybody. There should be room for, you know, the big players. I don't particularly like cookie cutter chain, homogenous design stuff. Um, or, you know, the sons of billionaires getting the jump and being able to open whatever they want. I'm, I wouldn't be particularly a fan of that, but I recognize that there's room for it and there can be an audience for it and people should be are entitled to to operate and, and, and start new businesses. But within that, there has to be um, room for successful independent businesses too. Not even like, I mean, we're not even talking about room here for, you know, massive risk takers or like completely experimental stuff or, you know, the fact that the underground has been bled so much because of corporate gentrification and because of the housing crisis. And now you actually have independent businesses not being able to find a place. So what I get frustrated about is when you talk about what's happening in the city around um, this kind of investor-driven homogeny uh, and and land speculation and and the frenzy, as Mark described it, around um, people with a lot of uh, capital behind them buying up leases and buildings and things like that is, um, you know, 
if 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 people who who don't see this as an issue root their thinking in competition and you know almost darwinist uh sentiment around success and economics and entrepreneurship and business and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah well what about diversity what about the actual competition what about people actually being served and it's so funny to me that these kind of um mindless or really kind of unsophisticated um, ideas around capitalism or whatever end up creating contexts that look very like what people who don't see an issue with that, uh, the things they're kind of against, like almost this, I don't know, not communist kind of thing, but just this like massive homogeny, this kind of cartel type scenario, this kind of monopoly on spaces uh, which you would think would run on, uh, counter to these ideas of competition and diversity and choice. Um, but that's and not the winners. The winners survive. But when the winners are being driven out by just an insertion of funds, like I was talking to Mark about all the people who there's been conversations about people going, well, we've got Chinese backing. So, and he's like, I don't want backing. I've got a restaurant that, that runs well. I just want to run my restaurant. Yeah. You don't want to be a fund manager, you know, Give over the, the majority of your, of your brand to someone else just so you can continue to operate. No. Anyway, uh, we'll obviously be keeping an eye on that as we do talk about it quite a lot. And I think uh, as we kind of forecasted the way the wave that it began in initially around nightlife uh, is now reaching much, much further into the mainstream. Uh, so maybe it'll matter more to people now. Um, okay, now it's time for our main discussion on how the government lost the room. Now, Andrea, we've talked a lot uh, throughout the pandemic about mistakes that have been made in terms of messaging, um, in terms of action, and in terms of speed. Um, Mike Ryan from the WHO kind of said two things that are kind of the two golden rules of of living uh, within the pandemic. And the first one being that speed trumps perfection. So you don't faff around for ages trying to do something. You try and be nimble about it. And the second one being that when you do have to impose restrictions or you do have to impose a lockdown because things have spiraled out of control, that you use that time to build capacity and to get better. We know that from the get-go, the elephant in the room um, in this country was the health service, um, was our hospital's capacity, was the delays or lack of staff and the um, bureaucracy around hiring staff um, and the general functionality of our hospitals, which even outside of these kind of times, as people know, uh, do not function as well as they should do in a country, in any country, um, have staff shortages, have consultants shortages, have healthcare workers that have a much better work-life balance, pay and opportunities in other countries. So they leave Ireland which is given we're such a wealthy country and there's such an investment in our healthcare system. So how you just keep kind of getting really frustrated of how that can keep happening as a wealthy country. Yeah, well, we kind of aren't really a wealthy country. We're kind of a fake wealthy country, kind of, you know. Um, our GDP, you know. Yeah, well, 
99% of uh, people in Ireland earn under €100,000, even though we seem to constantly talk about people who do own, who do earn that amount, the, the people who get the mortgages, the people who work in tech, blah, blah, blah. Um, but so, yeah, the wealth is a bit of a misnomer there. And also the kind of the waiting list issues in Ireland and how every winter there's a trolley crisis, patients on trolleys and not in beds. So when you don't look to radically alter the health service to build capacity, and that's not just about bringing in beds, it's about uh, training people to become um, ICU nurses or ICU doctors and all that kind of stuff. Um, when you don't do that. Or make and, it worth their while to stay. Yes. Or make or have better working conditions and better pay, particularly for student nurses and things like that. When you don't do that. And then additionally, when you don't do the big picture things that we know have been needed from the start. So every single tool in the arsenal, meaning freely available and free antigen testing, redesigning um, outdoor space so that people can socialize safely and providing the facilities and amenities for that and also ventilation. And instead, when you do put all of your eggs in the vaccine basket, as uh, the Irish government did, even though they kept saying, you know, it's not a silver bullet, but at the same time, it was clear that they thought this is the thing that's going to get out of this hole, get us out of this, out of this hole, even though the vaccine doesn't stop transmission then you're going to end up in a situation where even though we have such a high vaccine take up, one of the highest in the world, 94, 95%, because transmission is ongoing without the things that we needed around ventilation and, and very frequent and freely available antigen testing to make people aware of whether they're positive and even though they might be asymptomatic or to protect those spaces where they are actually going once restrictions fall in terms of ventilation, then there will be more transmission. And of course, it matters that the majority of people are not going to get as sick as they would without vaccines. When you just keep on upping transmission, obviously a proportion of that broader number of positive cases are going to end up sicker. And the bigger that number of people, the more that proportion will grow, even though it is completely different to this time last year, where obviously if we had the same rate of transmission converting into illness uh, at this time without the vaccines, um, you know, the country would basically be falling apart and the health service would be falling apart. Although in Paul Reed's letter, he really outlines the severity of the situation and what people need to do with an exhausted and overworked um, staff. So that's kind of the top line of it. But really, really crucially this week, I think... Um, We've talked a lot about here, Andrea, and along with um, our pal in the ESRI on behavioural science. Why is his name escaping me? Oh my God, I'm going to have to get his name. Sorry about that. The behavioural scientist, the guy who um, heads it all up um, about this thing about logical messaging and logical restrictions. So what do you think happened with the clubbing the, well, let's say we are calling it the clubbing closure, but the midnight curfew from clubs, bars, and restaurants. Uh, and what, like, how would you characterize the rationale with that and the reaction to it? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked. Thanks, <laughs> William, for having me. <laughs> um, 
in, in as far as I can see in my expert opinion, what I can tell is that the clubs were opened up for four weeks, which seemed to be uh, a way of getting everyone off the pup. Um, I'm speculating a lot here. So uh, just in case a disclaimer is needed or whatever, don't need a disclaimer. Then clubs opened up. They were always going to be the scapegoat. Uh, clubs are an easy hanging fruit. Um, they are not part of the um, makeup of the parties in power. They're pro- usually seen as a nuisance and uh, um, unnecessary, let's say, even though they're necessary to so many people. Um, so by then coming in and say, we're going to have a curfew. It's like, we're not closing down the clubs because then we'll have to support them. And um, what we're going to do is put a curfew on. And then there was a question goes, so essentially what you are doing is closing them me, to me, Hall Martin. He's like, well, yes, I suppose we are. Now, then obviously the Cinderella memes started spreading around. It's like, oh my God, well, COVID can't catch you uh, COVID can only catch you past 12 o'clock so once you're like Cinderella and leave um, that stops transmission because obviously there was no other mitigation uh, measures being looked at with this communication it was simply close at 12 that will stop anything that obviously has no effect on numbers because you're not changing behaviour what you're doing is you're trying to not changing behaviour or circumstance all you're changing is uh, a rule that seems to be for no reason um, uh, apart from to make them look like they're doing something and they it makes them look to their base that they're doing something it's like well we've closed the nightclubs that will start that they're obviously very like full of transmission and but we stopped that now obviously what's happening now is when you don't have any support in place obviously as a business um you're going to pivot so okay there's a curfew at 12 every club now opens at six or seven and runs till 12. So the same amount of people are in the same spaces with no communication about ventilation, about um, filtering systems, about um, antigen testing, nothing. It's literally like just go home by 12. So you have clubs going, fuck you, you're, you're literally throwing us under the bus. We're going to continue on operating. We still need to make money. Uh, people still want to go clubbing. All the clubs have been full. Um from these times um, I've been watching videos of all the clubs literally packed to the rafters even though they're closing at 12 so there's just this um, disconnect between doing something that actually has an impact and then just doing something for optics yeah big time and I think that it goes back to Pete Lunn by the way sorry the head of the behavioural science uh, uh, unit there at the ESRI but he's spoken so much about the behavioural behavioral science part of it obviously and and how we were doing that quite well and how our own social cohesion and general obedience really bolstered that but it's the return of the illogical rules it's the return of the nine euro meal type thing the time of day does not change the likelihood of infection or transmission what changes that is how safe you are at any given time and as you say, Andrea, like, of course, because the clubs aren't getting bus- or they have like still some of the business supports. But if there's no, if the staff aren't going to be able to go on pup and have to go right back on 203 euros a week, which you can't live on in Irish cities because that won't pay your rent. And then also, I forgot to leave out the absolutely in bits comment from Heather Humphreys about yeah. Well, there's actually, uh, and you can, you can, like, you can see the business lobby 
like who were giving out that they couldn't know that loads of places couldn't get staff because they were getting paid too much on pop. You can see that lobbying is impacted because she's like, well, there's loads of other jobs. So you can just get another job somewhere else because loads of other parts of businesses are, are crying out for staff. What? That just yeah. shows the disregard for people's jobs, lives, vocations and creations. Like there's lit just like hop into another job. People don't just hop into things. People spend their time creating the life they want to live, creating uh, business models, creating uh, art responses, creating all this shit. And it's just like, well, just get another job. Yeah, I, know. I mean, that was like, so there's the first, there's the time bit and there's, there's not doing anything to actually make people safer within that. You know, Pygmalion Club in Dublin, they bought thousands of antigen tests themselves out of their own money. And, but now it's just like, well, you know, there's no, like that's not required of them. Um, so like if if there had been antigen testing, like there is in loads of other places that is free, that is available, if the antigen tests are, are available for free, then people can actually make themselves safe as mu- insofar as they can before they go out. But instead now it's like, oh, we're just going to go out at another time. Um, in Paris, uh, where I was in September, there's antigen testing booths and tents everywhere, like on every other street you can get a free antigen test it's the same in Berlin it's the same in loads of different places in the UK no one's wearing masks everyone has antigen tests coming out their holes like you literally do not go anywhere before your antigen test and then everyone antigen tests afterwards and also so the, the, the um, <clears throat> well, Stephen Donnelly's remarks that basically we can't do free antigen tests because it was an argument in the UK Parliament over spending. It's like, maybe look into the fact that loads of those arguments are about all these ridiculous deals that the Tories were doing with r- random pals and that we shouldn't be looking over our shoulder at the UK anyway, considering they've handled the pandemic. But the Heather Humphreys thing. But also, sure, that's a nurse, Una. Yeah. <laughs> make them free. That's a nurse. Ridiculous false dichotomy. We don't get the nurse and we also don't get the antigen test. <laughs> You're a sham. Um, but uh, the uh, the comment from Heather Humphreys uh, was absolutely despicable. You know, to say to people who may have built their own business, who may love where they work, who may have a passion for where they work, who may have loads of friends where they work, who love going in every day or feel like this is what they're dedicated to, or starting out in a junior role in a, in a in a pub or a restaurant or a club or something and, and looking to build a career and move their way up as as so as all of us did you know to to actually say get a job somewhere else it's like you know telling a, a dj or something to just go work in a cafe or telling a promoter to just go um, wait tables in a restaurant. There's nothing wrong with those jobs, of course. Like l- we've all it's done them. Special but, skill set. But, but it's but it's not these people's careers. So there's absolutely no acknowledgement uh, for a, even understanding where people are at and why they do the jobs that they do. Um, and and also- really, Heather Humphreys is kind of one, like turning into or has become one of the more hawkish elements in in Fine Gael and her attitude towards employment, um, the attitude towards cutting the pup, you know, this really punitive short term and frankly, even from a cynical perspective, completely counterproductive in terms of support for her party, uh, the neoliberalism of, of which she represents intrinsically um, is, is, is bonkers. 
So but also, I think with her comment as well, imagine if it was the tech bros who couldn't work and yeah. telling the tech bros, just go and get another job. It just wouldn't happen because they respect them. It's, there's just absolutely no respect for the creative industry. Or if they tell the teachers, oh, we have to, you know, now that we've closed the schools, uh, yeah, just go work in, I don't know, a supermarket or, you know, go get a job in Google or, you know, it's like, it's, it's, I think it really speaks to a lack of, engagement and, and experience in the real world, actually, mm. amongst mm. The, the political establishment. But more broadly than that, I think it's fair to say that this has come on top of a series of uh, reflections and realizations of people in this country, particularly younger people, that those who are making these decisions may not be the most competent people, that things are poorly thought out. Uh, that messaging is garbled and that things are thrown together last minute. We really saw that with the restrictions that were kind of being written up as places were opening uh, when uh, clubs and, and venues and so on actually reopened uh, less than a month ago. After but, they'd been presented with exactly how it could work safely, all these like regulations and rules that could be implemented that the industry were calling for and they completely overlooked them because they so, wanted them to be fall guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, somebody was talking to the other day, it was just like, you know, the numbers since, since the, since the vaccination process started, like numbers have been going up and down. Um, clubs have been closed that entire time. It's hardly the case that after three weeks of them open, that they're somehow responsible for, um, the rise in cases, which is particular, particularly, um, high amongst young, amongst children as well. I don't think that was the reason why it was closed. It was like, if you're weighing up what is the easiest thing to scrap when numbers go up, it's a club yeah, because yeah. it's a smaller percentage. Whereas we know that it is sp- like skills, et cetera, that it, and workplaces. Yeah. But, like, but don't, skills, which is fair. Yeah. But like, but going back to, to what this is contributing to in terms of people's f- feeling and their vibe, um, yeah, the, the, these kind of reflections and engagement with um, the people in the political sphere, uh, be that in local government or national government, and this kind of almost like you kind of, you almost feel like you're losing your mind sometimes listening to various politicians and even the Taoiseach talking about stuff. Uh, and Stephen Donnelly is a really good example of that, where you're just like, what are you on about, mate? And I think people are kind of losing their minds a little bit with with um, the inadequacies, I suppose, of the people in power. And in particular, uh, it does feel that this week there has been another shift again with regards to how melted younger people's heads are with the government, because obviously uh, getting, you know, students getting to go out again and all that kind of stuff nightclubs and being out late at night tends to skew younger, um, probably majority across the board. And it just, it seems to me from talking to friends who are younger than me and from kind of checking out what people are saying on Instagram and, and, and Twitter, well, it's not really many young people on Twitter, but like, you know, just that kind of sense of like, you know, fuck this place, you know, it's, that's kind of come back again. And I can really understand that despondency because it comes on the back of loads of um, reveals uh, on how Ireland was exposed to just not being a great place to like do stuff and have nice things and all that kind of stuff. 
And there does seem to be an air of frustration and despondency around. And I would be fascinated now to see what the polls are going to be like if there's another uh, poll on political party support in the next couple of weeks, because it does seem that really uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are essentially finished um, for, well, kind of across the board, really, in terms of electoral success, but definitely for younger people, for people under 40. I feel like people are just like, that's it. You guys are having a laugh. And something that I find really interesting is that something I've that has net like there's always been a pushback amongst wealthy people that they would not vote for Sinn Féin and blah 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 but the conversations I've been having have been now that they're like actually this is so in bits um how the five million people are being brought to their knees over like the capacity of 108 or whatever um in ICU and and the health service so they're like they need to go and I w- I'm against this is what's been said to me I'm against Sinn Féin but we need change now because this is not acceptable and they were people who are staunchly anti Sinn Féin um, and big Fine Gaelers and that is what's coming out now yeah it's a really interesting shift I know like in the run-up to the 2020 general election we were kind of examining how the Sinn Féin surge was going to happen amongst particularly younger people and particularly amongst younger women um, but I think you're so right. I think that there is a, there are new converts <laughs> in a weird way now. It's not even Sinn Féin though. It's no, it's it's the change it's, thing. Yeah. It's just like labour, get them in, a bit of sock downs, get anything because this cannot go on any longer. Yeah. And it does seem, and this is something that Fine Gael really don't get, which is what we know, uh, we can see from their constant uh, attacking of Sinn Féin, is that it's about not them, you know, and like Sinn Féin have uh, ended up, you know, almost accidentally in a way, although there's loads of other reasons with their to their popularity as well, but accidentally filling that space mm. uh, that was opened up and Fine Gael completely left their base behind. You know, they left young people behind, they left um, working class people behind, they left people in lower incomes behind. And now they've basically left behind people who in their own lives, in their own daily lives and in their own working lives, understand what competence is, understand how you do a good job, understand what common sense is and good processes are. People have had to scramble and move and change and adapt in their own working lives across the pandemic. And when they're faced then with the the political sphere who are in charge of all this kind of stuff and see incompetence and see scrambling and see stupid actions, just go, oh my God, how come, like, if you put, you know, a hundred, like 180, like general random people from a citizen's assembly, you know, uh, in charge of this stuff would probably work out better. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's incredible how denigrated, uh, the government has become and how denigrated politics has become through the ineptitude of this government. I mean, even like, like older people are even leaving themselves behind. They're shutting down their own young groups. Yeah. And there's a big arguments happening within the young Fine Gael executive uh, around 
um, disagreements there, really kind of around freedom of, ironically, around kind of freedom of dissent, freedom of of, of speech and stuff around uh, certain people who uh, don't have faith in Leo Varadkar and their ability to articulate that. So it does feel that young Fine Gael or certain elements of it, and hopefully we'll get to talk to, to some of them next week, um, kind of fe- can see that there's another kind of bit of writing on the wall. And all of this is quite, you know, can be, is very potent. And a, and a lot of it can be a little bit scary because it is kind of bad for democracy in some ways. When people see, when look at a government or look at the people running things and go, these people don't know what they're doing, then, you know, very handy, very reactionary populist kind of forces can can sweep that up. The difference is in Ireland is that the kind of uh, forces, I suppose, that are, uh, you know, an alternative are not what we're seeing, you know, in other jurisdictions. People aren't gravitating towards right-wing reactionary uh, politics, um, and they're not necess- they are not necessarily gravitating towards conspiracy and things like that in the same numbers um, that other societies are. So it it just feels like it, people have kind of, I mean, they've lost the room. I mean, people are 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 just not listening anymore, and they don't have faith um, in 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 the caliber and character and competence of, of these politicians in charge and. I know we've we've said this many times before, but it really feels like very profound to me this week that people are just like, oh, that's it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I guess the other thing is, is how do how does that despondency turn to action? And what will the kind of proxy for protest be? Um, and how, because a lot of people are like, you know, when are we going to be getting out in the streets for the housing movement and all that kind of stuff? And and there have been sporadic protests, but they do seem quite disjointed at this time. So, you know, early 2022, you know, I think it's probably fair to say, and I know I've been making these different predictions of different kind of phases of the pandemic, but I do think that the next phase that we're in is going to be uh, quite orientated around protest. If people can move beyond the despondency and dejection and kind of use their anger in a kind of a righteous way that has a positive effect that actually is a motivating effect um, as opposed to just kind of giving up and googling, you know, flats in in Glasgow or East London or Berlin or Barcelona. Yeah, I think like conversations I have with people who live away are just like, just get out of there, just get out. Uh, You can't do this anymore. I'm like, I love Ireland and Dublin and living here and I just hope that we don't see so many people just getting out. Yeah, but it it, it unfortunately because the housing crisis um compounds all of this and underwrites all of it in a way. Um There's I no I, I have people to live. <laughs> but yeah, people are leaving and I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for that. Um 100%. Like I I get it, but like it just is so upsetting then because the people who would make the change and vote for the change won't be here. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, I wonder if if it's possible, nobody owes Ireland anything, you know, but I wonder if it's possible if people can hold on to see what happens next because everything is going to change in the next few years in this country, you know, um, everything is going to change. And I wonder you know, it's it's obviously not viable for a lot of people to have their mental health stretched 
to breaking point because of the housing crisis and then be basically gaslit by incompetence at the same time, that's a very oppressive atmosphere. It occupies your state of mind. It fucks your mood up, you know. But I will say, and I'm going to get to this in my culture bits as well, and even though I spend a lot of time pointing out other flaws, the systemic flaws that cause, you know, uh, real life shitness uh, in the city, that I think the energy is also shifting culturally at this time. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So that is our assessment of how the government lost the room. And now it's time for Get in the Sea. Andrea, just changing topic here for a while on uh, getting in the sea. What's getting in the sea? Wow. So we haven't, haven't mentioned these at all today. The snaky, ineffective guidelines being put out by government. It just is so in bits. It needs the Titanic to bring them down. It needs to get in the sea that much. Like, stop being so snaky and sneaky and underhand and vile and uh it's such a horrible Mr. Burns moment. Well, I suppose they are closed after all, aren't they? Or don't you know your man in uh, Circle of Friends? You're obsessed with Circle of Friends. Yeah, because it's brilliant. Mini driver, hello. But don't you know your man, the creepy one, he's like, yes, well, that's the double entry book system, yes. Well, it's essentially him being like, well, yes, I suppose the nightclubs are closed after all. <laughs> He was caught out. Anyway, in the sea. Bits. And now it's time for It's Bananas. This is my one this week. Can I have this one? It's so funny because I went in to write it and you'd already written it. So we're, gonna, <laughs> we're both bananas. You take it away though. What is bananas this week is <clears throat> the British arms manufacturer, BAE System, their pension fund has struck a deal with Dublin City Council to lease social housing. <laughs> Um, if you thought that the the neoliberal capitalist dystopia was going to become more inflamed, well, here it is. Um, uh, BAE Systems is makes warplanes, uh, ammunition, uh, missile launchers. <clears throat> And so they're the perfect partner for Ireland's new era of affordable social housing. Uh, this is just like truly wild. You can check the story out everywhere. It was Mark Hilliard had the story, I think, in the Irish Times, first of all. And so there's a few gaffs, newly built apartments and houses uh, in Kimmage and Crumlin. And the pension fund of BA Systems has snapped them up. And I'm looking forward to all the like, uh, the bros, the, the, shirt, the shirted byline bros being like, you know, there's a there's a there's room in the market for more arms manufacturers to come in here. We need them. We need the arms manufacturers to lease social housing back to the council. I mean, Jesus Christ! Like now, welcoming Halliburton co living. You know, it's jeez. Anyway, dystopic. That is bananas. And also, plus uh, the news that say Dublin County Council are paying fifty percent of its budget not in developing amenities and providing for the areas. No, they're spending 50% of their budgets to fund investments and trusts in rent to, to get housing. 
Deadly. Great value there, lads. Well done. That all worked out really well, didn't it? Really glad we put all of those Finnegalers in charge of housing for ages and now just have Dara O'Brien going, walking around with his cuffs out, being like, I've got an idea. Um, okay, right. Now it's time for our fave bits. Well, after all that uh, state of the nation, uh, it's time for some cheery culture vibes. Andrea, what are your fave bits this week? My fave bits next week, House of Gucci's Eight. I know it's been my fave bit for maybe five weeks. Yeah. I am just absolutely sweating for it. I cannot cope with my hunger to see this film. And Lady Gaga has literally been serving us everything. Like I'm full with what she's been serving us. Uh, literally every outing is a new look. Another club, another, another look, club, another, another look. look. Oh my gosh, uh, just unbelievable. Um, also, my favorite bits, I was at the Irish Tatler Women of the Year Awards the other night and it was just so gorgeous. Sometimes I have like a little, no, I'm actually just going to stay positive. <laughs> it was a lovely night and it was like lovely to see the kind of, the cross section of people getting awards like Jude Cherry, who his leading derelict Ireland with a niche agency. She got an award. Um, Maeve O'Rourke got an award. It was just, uh, it was really uplifting. My heart was very full and I needed my heart to be full. Gorge. And it, it, it delivered. Um, also filling my heart is booking raves, booking tickets for raves of the future. I got my tickets for Ava, got my tickets for mother on New Year's Eve, whatever, the government and COVID impose on us. We're getting Roisin Murphy on New Year's Eve. I don't care. Well, the great thing about the Roisin Murphy block party in Dublin on New Year's Eve uh, by mother is that right. it's outside. Boom. Done. Well, Winner. No matter what you throw at us, we will have our Roisin Murphy. <laughs> and obviously uh, the news broke this week. Get ready, listeners. J-Lo's got a new rom-com with Owen Wilson and Maluma, who is most well known to me for his uh, collaboration with Madonna, um, which is an absolute banger. And but what is this rom-com called? Marry Me! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And it's eight Valentine's weekend. Come on. This like J-Lo just knowing what we need right now. We, we may have to book out a cinema for a United Ireland uh, Marry Me do you remember I wanted to get Leah Bracker to do a talk about Made in Manhattan, the political forces <laughs> meeting? <laughs> Didn't go down very well. Uh, yes, very much looking forward to that. And so we'll figure a way to make it a United Ireland. Jayla's <laughs> rom-com with someone. Let political. us know what politician you would like to uh, host uh, our upcoming um, listener screening of the soon to be seminal rom-com Marry Me. If you can think of a relevant politician that we can get, uh, let us know. Um, I have some ideas. Oh my God, this is going to be the, the listener event of the year. So my um, fave bits, uh, obviously we were talking earlier about the despondency and, and young people in particular being pissed off by their socialising and culture not being <clears throat> made safe, but just being curtailed based on time because COVID can tell the time. Um, weirdly, going against that kind of sentiment 
is something that I'm kind of feeling about the capital at the moment where the energy is kind of actually shifting a little bit and there is some kind of window that's opening up where really interesting stuff is happening uh, in, in culture that is ushering in a new kind of era. And it's the first time that I'm kind of seeing people go out, obviously, uh, properly and, and gigs back on and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I th- even I think the Olympia this week, uh, kneecap for those I love and Kojak. And, and th- these are three acts that really speak to contemporary Irish culture across identity, gentrification, class, mental health. Um, you know, and, and anybody who was up for those I love in the Olympia would have felt the potency uh, of the message, the messenger, and just this energy that was almost like revolutionary. It was, it was so incredible. Um, and the sophistication and of both aesthetic and content of messaging within Irish culture right now is really amplified to me because the sentiments that artists were articulating before the pandemic are now in tune, I think, with the mainstream thought about Ireland. And I find that confluence really interesting. So on that, some of my fave bits, um, of course, the for those I love show, I went to a kind of experimental ambient concert, I suppose, um, at uh, called it's a monthly event called Still Space and it's in a new um, experimental kind of DIY music space in Dublin 7 in Stony Batter called Unit 44, which is run by the Kirkos uh, Ensemble right beside uh, the Tesco on Prussia Street, if people are familiar with that. And it was just such a really nice and interesting vibe. So I'd really encourage people to check out what's happening there, Unit 44, Um, The Magnet is a new pub that's going to be opening in Dublin 8 from the people who brought you the Circular and Luckies, one to keep an eye on. There's also, note, a new wine bar that has opened up. Uh, I never know what that street is called. Down by the Alex. By, yeah, by the Alex and also by Denzel Lane Cinema at that little V-junction there, uh, V-junction thing. So that's interesting. Uh, there's a couple of really interesting art exhibitions on in Dublin. Domino Whisker at Atelier Now being one of them. And my other fave bit is Mango Mathman's tour tickets have gone on sale for Feb 2022. Get them while they're hot. And now it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. Okay, my book of the week this week. Um, I'm kind of not even meant to be talking about it, but I'm going to flag it uh, because it's not out until February 2022. Though, though your dog's agreeing, I think, Andrea. Um, oh, yeah. Could you hear them? <laughs> <laughs> and my book of the week is uh, Maeve Higgins' upcoming new book, Tell Everyone on This Train I Love Them. I was lucky enough to get a copy of that this week. It's out in February 2022. Obviously, Maeve is an absolute queen boss legend and I love her writing. Uh, So that's one to keep an eye out for for next year. That's the book of the week. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Costway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design.
This week's tuna chicken roll is Cold Cold Heart by Elton John. Who thought that would be our tuna? It's the Pina remix with Dua Lipa. It's a banger. I've been Una Mlally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was How the Government Lost the Room. Woof. <laughs> Could you see we need a studio? <laughs>